The Higher Side Chats doesn't start with underwear ads or guilt-tripping donation pleas, nor would I ever commit the cardinal sin of podcasting and interrupt the flow mid-show to show you an unrelated sponsor. But the free first hour episodes do have to start with a little PSA before we get into it to ever so quickly remind slash inform listeners both old slash new that you're about to get into what I'm sure is a great first hour of a high level interview, but that means you're missing half the show. If you like what we do around here, get yourself a THC Plus membership and listen to the full two hour interviews as they were really designed to be and as I know you would enjoy them most. Give a little and actually get a little more in return of the thing you're actually engaging with. Five episodes every month, plus forum access, community comments, downloads to all the closing cover songs, a plus show RSS feed to use with any private RSS feed supported app, and the occasional joint session bonus shows, which include the messages you might leave me about your own theories, experiences, or otherworldly encounters at thehiresidechats.com slash voicemail. If you're not quite sure, if you just want to feel us out, or if you're only here for this particular episode, no worries. New first-time subscribers get a seven-day free trial when you sign up at thehiresidechats.com. Cancel anytime. Try it out, because it's so important to feed the things you want to grow and starve the things that gotta go. And with that said, let's get on with it already, huh? In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, Higher Side Chatters, doing the thing from sunny San Diego. I'm Greg Carlwood. And you don't have to look that hard at the planet's puppet masters to see a lot of strange activity that suggests their worldview has a spiritual dimension that seems quite a bit different from anything we're given on the ground floor. A constant veneration of Egyptian, Greek, and Babylonian gods and architecture, corporate logos, and special seals. A numerological encoding of sketchy events with dates that don't seem quite random. Backroom brotherhoods built on strange ritual they don't like to be asked about, and several other odd indications that a certain attention must be paid to unseen forces, and what seems to be a non-negotiable yet under-the-radar element of many things going on between the conventional lines. Call it a covert war in heaven, a spiritual battle played out on the material plane, or a demon pact for power. But it's certainly not the material atheism that we're expected to see as the one true intellectual ideology. And trying to unravel exactly what these secret beliefs are or how to orient ourselves in all of this gets even more difficult when everything is so corrupt, ancient symbols have been transmutated and inverted, gods renamed and repackaged, and old spiritual systems have been co-opted, captured, and Trojan-horsed so many times that truly untying this Gordian knot of good and evil is a task too complex for most people. But thankfully not when it comes to today's long overdue returning guest, the author, teacher, preacher, podcast host, musician, and documentarian, Marty Leeds, who has recently done the work required to see the light in the darkness and has adopted a Gnostic Christian perspective, recontextualized the deep wisdom encoded in the Holy Bible, and written a hefty new 500-plus page book entitled Lord Jesus Christ that breaks it all down from Pi to Kabbalah. 
This is his fourth time on THC, and we've discussed everything from Gamatria and the numerical code of nature to the Flat Earth, Pizzagate, and Sandy Hook. And I'm sure today will be consistently controversial, so let's get into it. The mathematical matrix decoder, Gamatria guru, and Gnostic Gnosis seeker, and preacher. Praise be to he, Marty, my man. How the hell are you? Thanks for having me on. Good to talk to you again. Yes, absolutely. You know, uh, the world has changed so much since we did this last in 2017, but what are you going to do? Just a wee bit. Just a wee bit has changed. (laughs) (laughs) Are you navigating all that all right? Uh, Yeah, I mean, we moved from Hawaii. We were living off grid in Hawaii. And, you know, as soon as the COVID-19 restrictions hit, my family's in Wisconsin, so we ended up leaving Hawaii. And now, now we're up north in Wisconsin, so it's been quite a change, but it's good. We're not complaining. We have peace and beauty and quietude. And one of the complaints, I guess, is that we don't have good internet signal. That's why I'm talking <laughs> to you in a car right now. But we're not complaining about that because we're not getting bombarded by, you know, 5G. So it's all good. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for jumping through all the hoops to get us some good audio. And thanks for your time. You know, I love you, man. But when I learned that your latest book was called Lord Jesus Christ and centers around a deep penetration of the Bible, well, it's not really my favorite subject. But hey, it's not a song about me. It's a song about you. And I want to do this because I like you. And I think we can weave a lot of other things that you've covered in and out of the overall thing we're doing here. But let's start with an overview of this book and this ideological pivot of yours, because you now refer to yourself as a Gnostic Christian. But I don't hear you talking about the Demiurge and Archons and breaking through our false reality or any of the stuff I hear most Gnostics focusing on. So I guess describe the book for us and elaborate on what Gnostic Christianity means to you just to properly set the table, as they say. Well, the first thing is that's a big issue with like Gnosis. It's actually one of the things I'm going to cover soon on. We do live streams every Sunday. So I'm going to cover that pretty soon. Exactly what is Gnosis? A lot of people get this misconstrued, really, is that Gnosis is, is, isn't, it's not like a religion or anything like that. Gnosis is basically experiential. Gnosis is, I mean, it's literally defined as a mystical insight, a religious, spiritual insight into the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, if you will, right? Basically, what it is, is essentially not listening to churches, not listening to organized faiths, not listening to so-called religious authorities, and seeking out the truth yourself and confirming it through not only like external, but also internal means, right? Using the scientific method, in fact, is one of the things about Gnosis. So that's really what Gnosticism is all about. And that's what I teach. Most Gnostics you'll hear or or you'll hear most people refer to Gnostics as you just did, like, oh, there's a Demiurge and they believe matters evil and stuff like that. And that's actually not really true at all. There are certain Gnostic sects that absolutely have believed that in the past. But just like there are many denominations of Christianity and many different beliefs in religion, the same thing goes for Gnosticism. One of the issues I think I've had is actually trying to clear the table with that, you know, clear the slate with that. And give people a a new look at what Gnosticism really is all about. Fair, fair enough. Yes, self-directed truth seeker by that broad definition, I think that qualifies for pretty much anyone listening. I always liked the Gnostic angle, though, of an entity that is, I don't know, necessarily evil, but is overseeing the material plane. And we have all these little distractions and these ways to get caught up 
in what we see and think that the material is real and that there's kind of a graduation process to realize that there is more, a greater reality beyond the physical that we can break through. I like that concept overall. And I think it kind of applies even to your book. You're saying, look at the deeper meaning, the codes beneath the things you're looking at and what they truly mean and how they are the fingerprints of the divine and all that. So it's kind of adjacent. Well, I think, you know, what I've learned over the years, uh, you know, I mean, when's the last time we spoke? 2017. It was a couple of years before that we spoke. So, yeah. you know, we've both been doing this a really, really long time, right? And, uh, you know, one of the things, the conclusions I've come to over the years is that every conspiracy road that if you take it to its very end will ultimately lead you into theology one way or another. In other words, that when you get to the heart of every conspiracy, at the end of the road of that conspiracy, it isn't about gaining money or that sort of stuff. It is literally about power, which is spiritual. It's a spiritual thing, you know. These people are trying to take place of the true authority, which is the creator, and trying to make them their, you know, the authority over us. That move in and of itself, which goes for every country right now, every freaking governor, essentially, right, that's going on, that's the move that all of these people at the World Economic Forum, the UN, and the global elites, blah, 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 they're all doing. They're trying to make, in this sense, themselves God. So every conspiracy road that I went down, at the end of the day, that's where it ended. It was like, this is, ultimately, if you're not having a spiritual conversation or a conversation about man's relationship to the creator, you're not going to get to the end of that conspiracy. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I would agree with that. Definitely a lot of roads lead you to the spiritual, whether you're looking at the symbolism of corporate logos or the organizations some of these people seem affiliated with and the coded language in which they speak. Yeah, it certainly all leads to something of a spiritual nature. And elaborate on the book a little bit for us, because it is 500 plus pages. It's simply titled Lord Jesus Christ. What are people going to get when they go through this book and the four sections that you break it up into? Well, I mean, I'll say this. Take everything that you think you know about. I mean, essentially pulls the rug out from under modern Christianity is essentially what it does. The whole book is intended to understand that religions, first and foremost, now I'm focused on Christ, but religions in themselves, when you get to the true anagogic or mystical nature of them, when you get to what they're encoding beneath them, is a high divine science. It is a universal, ubiquitous science that everyone can understand, that it has principles that are so simple that even children can understand them. And they're ultimately based on universals, things that are universal to all of us, one of them, of course, being mathematics. And so that's really the angle that I take in the book is basically saying that First off, everything that you think you know about Christianity, essentially throw it out the window. And I'll give you one example. The last, um, and I talk about it in the book, the last like six live streams I've done, which are Sunday services, I'm actually doing sermons and Sunday service now, we talk about how you can't possibly even come close, not even close, to understanding essentially anything of the Bible without bringing star study to bear on it. And then when you do that, next thing you know, you can make explicit, very logical, rational, palatable common sense of the stories, myths, parables, and allegories that are being told in the Bible. 
And the reason that you have modern Christianity in the state that it's in is because they've actually lost connection to the true nature, the true messages that are within the Bible. And the very things, the very keys that would allow them to understand those messages, they've already cast it out as demonic. And one of those, of course, being astrology. And when I mean astrology, basically what I'm saying is star study, not necessarily the astrology that you see on YouTube channels and things like that. I'm talking about specific star study. So that's essentially what the book is all about and what my teaching and preaching is really all about. It's like, look, we need to look at all of this stuff with brand new eyes. Take essentially everything you think you know about it and throw it out. Now, I don't mean to rant here, but isn't that essentially what we have to do with our world in general? <laughs> it is. I mean, I don't know of a single topic where essentially we've had to say, oh, okay, well, everything we've taught about that is bullshit. Let's start anew. So I'm just saying that let's do that with Christianity. And that's what the book is all about. Right on. Well, another description, sales pitch, I think that a lot of us can get behind. It sounds intriguing. We do know the Bible is a layered text, so we're with you there. And in another interview, I've heard you say that understanding evil 101 is knowing that evil wraps itself in holy symbols and tries to appear as good. And I totally agree with that. And it's why I talk to so many different people with different takes. Some think the elite are reviving a Mithraic cult. Some think they've made a dark deal with the Demiurge. Others say it's a Saturnian death cult. And some just think they're Satanists. So I kind of just leave it open and take a you-will-know-them-by-their-fruits approach. But I agree that it gets confusing because many symbols are reused in good and bad ways. Talk to us about the paradigm you see the elite operating in because they've deceived us with the globe, Earth. They've taken us away from God with scientism. They've encoded 666 into Build Back Better, the World Economic Forum logo, Google Chrome, and conglomerates like Fox. But you say 666 at its core is a reference to Jesus. Well, they also use the cube a lot. That's something that is constantly talked about in conspiracy circles. They put one at the One World Trade Center complex, and we know that the cube unfolds into a cross. So it gets hard to put certain symbols in a good or bad category. How do you contextualize the nefarious elite's role, their symbology, and their use of these symbols that ultimately are supposed to be references for Jesus, this guiding philosophy of theirs? I don't see the logic there. What can you say about what you think the elite believe and why they use symbols that are pegged to Jesus rather than what we would typically think of as like the beast or something dark that they're referencing? I don't know if I've said this on your show before. It's been a while, but this is probably one of the most important things that you'll hear about when it comes to esoterica, occult, understanding symbolism. And it's this. Satanists bathe the light in darkness. Let me say that again. Satanists bathe the light in darkness. What Satanists do is take things that are good, holy, true, beautiful, virgin, pure, and they use them in their own context. They use them for their own symbols. They co-opt them, right? They appropriate them in this sense. The reason they do this, it's a very specific reason they do this. And as soon as I say this, people that are actually awake will know exactly what I mean. They do this so you will never, ever go look at those symbols and try to understand what they actually mean. 
666 is a perfect example, okay? 666 is a number that if you asked anybody and their brother, and as you just said, you see a lot of these corporations and stuff like that utilizing this. If you asked anybody and their brother, what does 666 mean? That's a number of the devil. It says it in Revelation 13, 18, right? Okay, well, essentially what these scaremongers, fearmongers have done has have played on that, played on that emotionalism. Okay, yeah, Revelation 13, 18 absolutely does say, you know, here's wisdom, let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, there's a number of man, his number 603, sword and six. We all know that, right? It's not a chapter later where it says in Revelation, I think it's 15, like 15, one, two, three there, where it says that there were people that actually slayed the dragon, they actually conquered the devil and had control of his name, over his number, over his mark. And they were actually standing on the sea of glass and they were singing the harps of God. So we're told, and it's been shown to us, that 666 is this number, it's evil, stay away from it, it's a signal of the devil. And yet the Bible is actually telling you to go conquer that number. And the people that did conquer the number are actually sitting with Moses and the Lamb in salvation. And this is what it says specifically in Revelation. Now, my issue is, is that I grew up in the Bible Belt in Wisconsin, right? And so I've been hearing this stuff my entire life. 666 is the number of the devil. And yet not once have I heard any religious Christian ever tell me about Revelation 15, where it says specifically, it says, you're not supposed to fear that thing. You're supposed to conquer it. And when you do, you get rewarded with eternal life. So the point is, is that Whenever you see these corporations wrapping themselves up in this symbolism, and they're actually very successful with this, they do it to keep you far, far away from ever understanding it. Hmm. Let me give you another example. There's a pentagram. You'll see the pentagram used all over, right? Like Texaco and that sort of thing. And then, of course, you'll see, oh, the devil or Baphomet or something, they'll have an upside down pentagram or this. And so I don't know how my entire life I've heard pentagram. That's a symbol of the evil. That's what, you know, that sort of thing. The pentagram encodes the ratio of phi, the golden mean, the golden section. So the perfect pentagram is geometry, which is ubiquitous and universal. And it actually encodes a pattern of growth, which is found on inanimate and animate objects. It's found all over the living and world. And so here, if we would listen to, if we would go full retard, if you will, and just believe every dumb thing we've heard on the internet, well, 666 is evil. Oh, the pentagram is evil. And yet these two things, the pentagram and 666, are actually expressly and explicitly telling you about divine things. Right. Yeah, I'm with you there. When you go back to these symbols and their initial sources, a lot of times it's pagan stuff, which is really just observations of nature. Or with 666, it's the angle of an equilateral triangle. It is just these base things that are built into the architecture of the way nature unfolds, similar to pi, which you know intimately well. And there's nothing innately evil about them. They're just symbols. It's just very neutral kind of stuff, I would say. And they seem to just use it for, I guess, their own purposes. But the conventional logic is that these symbols are dark because they're pulling power from these symbols and using it for all their dark stuff. But what is the way to recontextualize that? Is the logic that they're just mocking God with these symbol uses? Well, in, in many respects, yes. I mean, just like they mock us, right? I mean, I don't think there's a person listening here that wouldn't agree with that. You know, when you mock humanity, that's really what you're doing is mocking 
God. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's exactly what they do with these things. Like I said, they pervert these things. They distort them. They flip them. They invert them. Okay. And they put them in a context so that you will never investigate them. A lot of people will say things like this. Like, you know, you just mentioned like, oh, this seems like pagan things or whatever, or this of nature, right? So we sort of put these, I don't know, what do you want to say? Like adjectives or whatever, or qualifiers on these things, right? Well, the pentagram isn't owned by the pagans or the Christians or the Muslims or the Jews or the atheists or the agnostics. The pentagram and the hexagram and the cube, this is all geometry, plain and simple. Geometry is something that is expressly comes from nature itself. We learn math and geometry from nature. Math and geometry are universal and ubiquitous. They're available to all peoples, anywhere, at any time, a place. It doesn't matter where you were born, when you were born, what language you speak, right? So when you see evil people using this stuff, what they're doing is flashing that they are in control of or they have a mind of divine knowledge, sacred knowledge. And guess who doesn't know that stuff? You and I, or at least didn't, right? Yeah. Then I said, and the, one of the first podcasts we've ever done, was talking about math. And I said this many times. So when you talk about universality, ubiquitousness, the fact that math and geometry is universal to all peoples and actually tells you about the structure, design, order, and your place and role in the creation, then one of the first things we talked about was like, hey, you know what? Everybody hates math, right, Greg? <laughs> yeah. It was one of the first things we talked about. Everybody I'd ever talked to, I'd start a live stream like or a podcast like this, and they would say, oh, I'm not very good at math. Oh, I hate math. Oh, math sucks. Huh. I wonder why that is. Because there's answers there. There's truth there. Mm-hmm. You know, And it's actually a universal truth. And when you get to universalities, when you get to those things that are universal, you're talking about ultimately God. You're talking about a creator that has brought those things. And that's why they're universal to all peoples. Yes, fair enough. And so a big part of the new book is this motif of six and one. And I am a big fan of this. When I learned about the foundation of general occult philosophy, they say that in the beginning, God or consciousness existed in a single point and then with its awareness expanded up, down, left, right, backwards, and forwards. And this is the six directions around a single point idea. This is God created the earth in six days, resting on the seventh. This is the square and compass with three points of the compass looking up and out, and three points of the ruler pointed down and out. And a G, or a seven, according to the cipher, resting in the middle, This is the seven chakras, three up, three down, and the heart in the center. It's the Star of David. It's the menorah. It's the cube unfolding into the cross. I find all that really interesting. It's also the Lakota symbol that I learned from you. So to me, it says, in the beginning, we had this foundational understanding. God or consciousness expanded itself out in all directions and created everything. And so many different ideologies have branched off of that and in many cases lost the initial meaning, basically the Bible and the occultists seem to have the same foundational ideas of how the material plane came to be. I mean, do you think that's fair to say? There is only one truth. You know, there is only just the truth. So when people go to the truth, depending on who they are, when they are, when they were born, what language they speak, you know, their cultural pretenses, all that sort of stuff. Let me say it like this. 
the number seven is always the number seven. It's never going to change. It's always a prime. It's always has its divisors of one and seven. If you add one through seven and look at the triangulation of number seven, it's always going to equal 28. If you square the number seven, it will always equal 49, right? Now, when you look at the English word of seven, it's not the same as the French word. It's not the same as the Spanish word, right? But the number seven, the qualities, the attributes, how we experience it is absolutely the same. So one culture might say seven and another culture might say sept and another culture might say seven, right? And you say, well, look, they're talking about different things. No, they're not. No, they're not. Okay. So what I'm trying to do is what I call or what has been called is look for the golden thread, the thing that connects all of these things. And that's essentially cutting through the veil or the garment or the, you know, whatever, and getting to the core of it. Okay. And so that's really what this is all about. I don't even know if that was answering your question, but the six around one is once again, a, um, it's a ubiquitous thing. It's in the cube. It's just something that's in the natural world. And then somebody will say, oh, it's a cube. Oh, that's the Satanist and things like that. And then I say, well, if you actually go to Revelation, this Revelation, I think it's 1621, it says that God is a cube. The city of God, the city of holy city of light, if you will, is a cube. Its base is, you know, it's four square and its length and height and breadth are equal. That's a cube. So the interesting thing is, and that's six around one, right? And so the interesting thing is, is when you talk to people, it's like, oh, the cube, that's all Satanism. That's all satanic. It's, and then it's like, well, that's God in Revelation. Now, the funny thing is, is you'll hear Christians say that. And really, why is God a cube in Revelation? Because of just what you said. Up, down, left, right, forward, and reverse, and there's a resting place. And that resting place is in the center of you. And that is where God is. And this is the great occult, you know, revelation in many respects. And people, once again, Christians hear occult and they're like, oh, evil, magic, Satanism. You know, what is it? Uh, the glory of God is to conceal a thing and the honor of kings is to search out a matter. I think it's Proverbs 25, 2 or something like that. So the glory of God is to conceal a thing. And the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Accordingly, we're supposed to seek out the occult as Christians. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I guess I still wonder why such an emphasis on this text. I mean, I understand that it has some ingrained truths that are eternal, but it also has a lot of other stuff. And this book has been written and rewritten it's had councils who determine what's allowed to go into it and what's not. It's been translated several times. And I know you've addressed this because you talk about valuing the underlying eternal truths and disregarding the histrionics of the whole thing, of this book written by men. Talk to us about how you really separate those two things out because they seem very intertwined to me unless we're talking about numbers and stuff specifically, but it seems really hard to unravel one from the other. Let me try to tackle it this way. I did something that is completely different than nearly everybody. My entire life, I've heard basically people say the same sort of thing. And I did something that was completely different. And I did this with the language, our own language, as well as other languages, but as well with the, the Holy Bible. And I didn't say, oh, well, this is the history of the Holy Bible, because as you know, I don't trust history at all. If I was to trust history, then I guess 19 hijackers and a dude took down those two towers, three towers, whatever it was, right? You know, if I, if I have to trust history, then I guess Kuf 19 and everything that they've told about us is true, because that's what's going to be written in the history books, right? You know, if I have to believe history, then I have to believe all the lies they told us about World War II and World War I and Vietnam, 
right? History is the set of lies agreed upon, as we all know. So what I did is when I hear people say, oh, the Bible has been through this transition and this, and this was added, and this was taken out, and there's these councils. In order for me to trust that history, I'd have to trust the history I've been told, which I've learned is bullshit. There's no way I can trust that history. So instead of doing that, and this was a long time ago that I did this, but instead of saying, okay, this is the history of the evolution of our alphabet. This is the history of the evolution of the Bible. I'm going to say, just to be honest, and everybody would have to say the same thing if they're actually honest with themselves. You have no idea. I have no idea where English came from, the changes it actually made, the Bible, the same thing. I don't know if there was actually a council that got together in 432 AD or whatever. I'm supposed to trust 1500 years of history now. So what I did is I said, okay, I don't know what our alphabet is and I don't know how it was formed. I don't know who formed it. I don't know if it was just a cobbled together mess and I don't know who wrote the Bible. I don't know how it was formed. What I'm going to do is I'm going to reverse engineer it. So I'm going to start and look at the thing in and of itself and say, can I use my own intelligence, my own, you know, discernment and critical thinking skills and my own years and years of studying, you know, classic works of literature and things like that? Can I reverse engineer this thing and see if there's something in it from there and not start from a history that I don't know and then proclaim what it is? So in doing that, it allowed me complete freedom to actually look at the thing and say, OK, well, for instance, is the Bible structured? Right. Can I step away from it and say, I don't necessarily know what the stories mean. I don't know necessarily what these characters are and things like, but can I look at the Bible almost as a mathematician and see if there's structure there? Well, one of the things you can do is absolutely show that there is 100%. However, the Bible has come to pass, there absolutely is a structure to it and it could be proven mathematically. So I'll just give you this one little anecdote and we can talk about others if you'd like. But Psalms 118.8 is the center verse in the Bible and it says, it is better to trust in the Lord and give confidence in men, which is a pretty good line. It's better to trust in God than give confidence to men. It's Psalms 118.8. Well, there's 594 verses before that verse. And this is the center verse of the Bible. And there's 594 verses after that. Well, that means that if you add 594 to 594, that's 118.8. Okay. And so this is the very center verse of the Bible. So knowing that the chapters are different lengths, that the verses are, to, you know, the different amount of verses. There's an Old Testament and New Testament. When I look at something like that, that tells me it's glaringly obvious that this is not accidental. This is not just a cobbled together mess of a book. This is not just taking this out and putting this back in. Whoever has decided upon the authorized King James Version, specifically down to the mathematics, was insanely precise, insanely precise. Like I said, there's a bunch of other anecdotes or whatever I could give, but that's just one of them. You know, that tells you that not only the beginning to the end to the very middle was all set up, at least mathematically, to be perfect. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's a little different take than I've seen anybody else do, because I didn't say, I know what's happened to this thing. I know the history of this thing. I don't. But I can tell you 100% that it is absolutely encoded and it's perfect in its design. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good argument, I would say for sure. And like I mentioned, I want to weave in and out of some other work you've put out since we last talked. One of those things is a documentary called We Need to Talk About the Jews, and that seems like maybe second hour behind closed doors talk to me. But another presentation I found really interesting was the de-occulting of Elon Musk, Elon being an anagram for Noel, funny enough, 
a false god of sorts, we could say. He wants to blanket the sky with 5G satellites, put a neurolink in your brain, and jet off to Mars. Clearly, a flat earther such as yourself is going to take issue with SpaceX and the satellite thing. But in your presentation, you say that the entire SpaceX organization is an occult group using Egyptian mythological themes and that their launches are dark occult antichrist rituals. Well, I'm into that. Talk to us about some of this stuff and your thoughts on SpaceX and Elon Musk. SpaceX was originally called Space Exploration Technologies. Okay, so before it became SpaceX, Space Exploration, that's an anagram for set. Now, set in the Egyptian pantheon, of course, we all know the sun sets, is the antithesis of Horus. And Horus would, of course, be the sun god. Now, I relate this to Jesus in a whole chapter and why it's so important that Christ is understood as a sun god, but that's a different conversation. But, you know, it's not like some big mystery that, you know, JPL and, and NASA have had their fingers and their little toes in the occult, right? I mean, there's no yeah. question about that. You've probably had how many people have talked about that on your show. Well, space exploration technology is not some like independent organization. It's like he was just this maverick, you know, intelligent guy that just, you know, made his way. No, this is all bullshit. You know, it's the same thing. There's no difference between NASA and JPL and JAXA and SpaceX. It's the exact same occultists that are not working on behalf of humanity that specifically work on behalf of what we could call father time or the antithetical force down here, if you will, to God, if you will. And that's what space exploration technology is all about. They literally named their organization after the Antichrist God in the Egyptian canon. Hmm. Yes, I really loved that. And it goes a lot deeper because they use the Falcon rocket, Falcon being Horus. It takes a dragon space capsule, the dragon being Apep, which is an Egyptian serpent demon of chaos, takes this dragon space capsule up to the ISS with seven astronauts, seven, of course, there it is again, sent by SpaceX or SET. So we do have Horus, Apep, and set all right there. It's a deep encoding of the Egyptian myth. Now, my question is, why do this? Well, that gets to the biggest conspiracy of the world. Do you want to hear the biggest conspiracy of the world? You know I do. <laughs> of course you do. Right? Um, <laughs> the biggest conspiracy of the world, in the world, is to convince man that he is anything but what he is. Basically, it's, let me say it this way, the earth there's teleology. It's purpose-driven. The earth was created for a purpose, in other words. Your life has a purpose. Your life has a meaning. There's a meaning to existence. There's a meaning for you to be here. You're on a very, basically what earth is, is a rites of passage for souls to come down here to undergo the process to reunify with God. And if you look at the basic core of every religion, like true, you know, um, whatever religion that's actually made its way, if you will, if you look at the core essence of every religion, that's what you'll find. At the core of every sort of like spiritual practice and that sort of thing, it's this ultimate thing that you're on this quest, it's a rites of passage, and you and your whole quest is to reunify with God. And they, the people in power, the you know formidable they, they do everything in their power in every way, shape, or form, especially through the religions, especially through Christianity, by the way. To get you to think anything but that, to get your mind from understanding that you are a warrior on a great quest down here on Earth, 
and your journey is to get back home. This is the faking of space. This is why they screw with the cosmology. This is why they lie to you. This is why they don't teach you mathematics so that you don't understand universals. This is why they mess with, once again, the cosmology so you don't understand the universality of the star patterns, all of these sorts of things. So that's what these people, their whole goal is. They understand there's a God. They understand that man has a great purpose down here, that we are divine figures, that we have fallen from a great height and we are connected to that height. And they're going to work full time, nonstop, 24-7 to keep you from understanding that. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of what I always say. It seems like Earth is some kind of soul school and those seem to be the lessons that we're supposed to learn. But I still always ask that one more layer of why. It's like, why is that the quest to go through all this and reunify with God? Is that just because this is God's world and that's what he wanted to do is play out this story from a billion different perspectives? Well, it's basically taught like this, that God lost himself so he could find himself again. Yeah, it seems like eternity and omnipotency can get quite boring. Yeah. <laughs> so then you do, you play the game. I mean, when you look at it that way, it's like, yeah, like you try to find a reason for why God made, you know, it's the great conundrums in when you study like mysticism and even just philosophy, like why evil? You know, what is the purpose of that? Why suffering? You know, why would God make that sort of thing? Then you realize when you go through this whole sort of process is that you need the trials, the tribulations, you need the roadblocks in life in order to we do this anyway, right? In order to get anywhere in life, you have to screw up a lot. You have to fall. You have to falter, that sort of thing. And in essence, that's God's cosmology. It's like in this, we fell from a great height and he wants us to climb back up. And it's the whole, the beauty of life itself is the climbing up. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and, and this is why we love humanity is when we see somebody overcome you know, it's like everybody loves the underdog in that sense, right? When we see somebody overcome, we're like, yeah, man, yeah, right? Because that's innate in all of us is that spirit to overcome. And this is what these people do is that they just spend their time making sure that that spirit dies. Mm. So we don't climb the great mountain, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering, this is totally off the reservation of where I plan to go with this conversation, but are you aware of like the hidden hand material or this idea that certain elite have agreed to play this role, that they actually are in service to God, that they on a deep level know that that's what they're here to do. And they're making the sacrifice to play the character of the elite. And that sacrifice comes with a lot of karmic load. It comes with this reincarnation loop. That's what all the incest and family trees is about. This was a... a piece of material that popped up on a forum where somebody said, hey, I'm part of the Illuminati. I'm here to answer any questions you have. And it got really deep and dense and it went on for a long time. And this is kind of the worldview they presented. What are your thoughts on that idea that the elite actually have a role in service to God to be the pressure that helps us to rise above? I mean, I guess I don't know because I would, I'm like, I'm such like in that sense, I'm so like analytical and I would have to see proof of that. You know what I mean? I'd have to see proof of somebody just being like, yeah, this is what we do. Well, God is in all things, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, uh, I would say this, that the people that are in power absolutely know who they work for. That's what I would say. <laughs> uh, they know exactly what they're doing. They know that they're working for themselves, which is against humanity. It's their own power, that sort of thing. And to 
peel the layer back a little bit, you know, of the onion a little bit more and ask why. Well, I mean, you want the best for your children, don't you? Mm-hmm. So their best and your best are two very, very different things, aren't they? And so you could see why a civilization, a group, an elite group, a family, whatever, would try to do this over several generations. I mean, it makes perfect sense if you just put yourself in the shoes of a psychopath, that is, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I just hear people at that highest spiritual level, the real gurus, the ones who, you know, would never eat meat or anything like that. <laughs> they basically talk about, well, God is in everything. And so God is also the darkness. God created the darkness. There is nothing separate from God. So in that respect, they are just other points of light of the Godhead doing something different that from our perspective seems evil or wrong. I mean, I'm going to get myself in a lot of trouble if I go on, but there is a, a school of thought that says those kind of things. I understand where you're getting at now. Okay. So to answer that succinctly is that, yes, God is in everything and everyone. This is the unity of God. God cannot be separate. Okay in this sense, and that when you get to the heart of it, it's all about unity. And this is actually where mathematics comes in, but I don't want to go down that road right now. But this is why you're taught to love in Christianity, is right. you even love your enemy. Because at the end of the day, the spark that's within that human being that enlivens them and actually makes them go is God. Now, what they do with that, they get the choice. And this is where the whole, I mean, this is the at least biblically, this is the serpent in the garden. This is the Cain and Abel story. There's lots of things we can go into here. But ultimately, it's about your will and your choice and what you get to do with that. And this is where that whole, you know, rites of passage kind of thing comes in is that, you know, God's making his list and he's checking it twice. And he's going to find out if you're naughty or nice. Okay. This is actually the all seeing I've got. The all seeing I've got is seeing all things and he's seeing how you're doing down here. The all saying I've got, by the way, people think it's like a Masonic symbol. That's nonsense. I mean, the Masons use it because they're a compendium of symbolism, a library symbolism, but that's a Christian symbol. And you can find it in Christian cathedrals and in Christian artwork. But if then you asked a Christian what the all seeing I've got is, they'd probably tell you it's Masonic and Mason, you know, whatever, devilry or whatever. And yet that symbol is actually telling you about the fact that God is watching everything you do, every thought you have. Every sleight of hand, everything you do, every step you take, every breath you take, that's it, that's it. God is watching and is keeping track of what's going on. And so I think the evil people, I think they're well aware of the choices that they're making. And I think they're, I mean, I would say, I know that they're well aware that they are working for the antithetical force down here, which I will call Father Time. <laughs> now that's basically, it is a Saturn death call, it seems. Yeah. But man. So let's let's get a little flat earthy because that's a perspective that has not been repped here in a while. And I know that <laughs> it's a big part of your paradigm. I'm non-conclusive on what Earth looks like from a bird's eye view. But sticking with this SpaceX Elon Musk stuff, you do a great breakdown of that event when they launched the Tesla Roadster into space. And it looked very fake. Even Elon is looking at it at a press conference and says, you know... I would say it's real because it looks so fake. You know it's real because our CGI would be better if this was actually fake. So even though it looks very, very fake, that's how you know it's legitimate. And it was just like he really was struggling to find something to say, it seemed, because it did look pretty wonky. And you make great points that it all falls apart when you think about the details. What are these cars made of? They have glass and plastic and vinyl and paint. 
and all of this withstood a launch into space? Undamaged? It doesn't make any sense. SpaceX got a $1.6 billion contract to take things to the ISS, yet Elon Musk has no aerospace degree at all or any credentials that would have anything to do with this. He's the inventor of PayPal. It doesn't compute when you dig a little deeper. Also, the speed in which they'd have to go, I think, is 17,000 miles, 10 times the speed of a bullet shooting from a gun. And we're going to say that seven astronauts in this little tin capsule aren't affected by the forces involved with all that. It really does seem like it's all just a show to encode this stuff we were talking about with Set and Horus and this weird space ritual. You know, Chris Knowles says space is an altar, and I believe that more every time I hear something like this. But yeah, those are really great points. It does kind of fall apart. And what more would you say about just the paradigm of the flat earth and all this attention that's paid to space exploration and billionaire space ventures that's happening right now? Well, they're trying to essentially, I, you can see what they're doing. I mean, say whatever you want to believe about the shape of the earth at the end of the day, whatever, you know, but when you see like Elon Musk, like you were saying, launching a car up there with vinyl and glass, believe in space, don't believe in space, believe in flat earth. Not, that's nonsense. Just use your head. It doesn't matter what you think about the cosmology of the earth. Why would you trust anything from that guy's mouth? Right. I mean, here's another question. If you owned a space organization, Greg. Would you not want to go to space? Of course. Wouldn't that be one of the first things that you'd want to do? <laughs> so it's like hiring a plumber that's never plumbed anything or an electrician that's never electric anything. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, it's nonsense. It's absolutely crazy. And then you see right now what, as you were saying, the media is doing is pushing Bezos. Oh, yeah, the Blue Origin went to space, you know, with William Shatner. They're trying to make space hip like they were in the 70s and 80s. And it worked in the 70s and 80s because we didn't have the technology and there wasn't a great awakening and all this other stuff. But they're trying to pull that now and it's just not working, you know. And so I don't know. Maybe it is working. I don't know. I haven't heard much because I'm in my own little circles, but <laughs> I don't know. Most people do not view Jeff Bezos as a hero. No, not at all. I mean... You know, I guess Babylon B, if they want to, you know, stroke Elon's ego and have him out or anything like that. But then you like, like Babylon B, why don't you ask him about that car that's in space? Is it still floating around out there? How many miles does it have on it? You know, anyway. <laughs> yeah. And I, I would think about all the supposed satellites that are up there. And it's like, so you can just launch a car and not worry about it coming back down at random somewhere and drop it in the middle of New York City. Like you can't prepare for these things if everything is moving and rotating at these astronomical speeds that we're told it is. So that doesn't really add up. And I guess I would ask you about like Jeff Bezos versus Elon Musk. Are these guys both just kind of in a WWF way pretending to be in opposition? Or do you think that they're doing various rituals and competing in a sense for more potency of said ritual, or is it all just a show? Is there any real power in these actions they're taking that involve these manipulated or fake space launches? Well, the whole world's a stage, all the men and women merely players kind of thing. <laughs> you know, no, I, I mean, it's like, to me, it's like asking like, oh, do you think Clinton and Trump are enemies or something? It's like, do you really think that at this point? You know what I mean? Like, what's it's like you had Trump, praising Clinton's 
during his presidency when he was telling people like, lock her up, like it's all a show, you know, it's all theater when it comes down to that. So, you know, it's a big club and, and we ain't in it. Let's yeah. just say that. Right. And Bezos is in that club and Musk is in that club. If they weren't in that club, you wouldn't know of them. Right, right. I guess I'm just asking, is there any real power in what they're doing? Because it seems like a lot of effort. And is it just an effort made to mystify us and get us interested in space again? This is literally mind control. You know, and like when you look at, uh, what do I want to say? The seven hermetic principles. The first one is all is mind. Okay. And so if you're trying to control souls, getting home to God, well, the first thing you do is you manipulate the cosmology. That's one of the big things you do. So they don't even know where home is. Right. And then the next thing you do is, you know, you manipulate the cosmology. Then you fill that person's head with all sorts of garbage and nonsense. So it's just constantly busy. And then you say, well, where's the power in that? Well, you just controlled God. Think about that. If every single human being has that spark and ounce of God in them, what bigger power could you possibly have than over the control of the very place where God's souls come down to be reborn? What other power could you possibly have? There is no other power. So I've been saying this for years. In fact, I did a documentary called Flat Earth English Gematria in the New World Order, where I, I said this specifically. Earth is the place where souls come down to undergo their, what you could call a karmic amendment or, you know, their, whatever you want to say, to fix the things that they've got wrong in this world, you know? And these people want to control that process, which means they're in control of the process of souls coming back to God. Mm -hmm. I think that's a little bit more powerful than money. I think it's a little bit more powerful than owning a big corporation or that sort of thing. There's nothing more than that. Fair, fair. Touche, good sir. And uh, a lot of your work is about the septenary cipher. Now, we don't have the visual reference, but people who've listened to you for a long time know this. You basically take the alphabet, you split it in half, and you take both halves and overlay it over the numbers one up to seven, and then seven, you know, seven back down to one. And it fits perfectly because that is 13 digits, seven being the one that's not duplicated in the center, and then the six going out in each direction. And it's been the crux of your work forever. It's peppered and layered throughout this book. So many things equate to certain numbers through English that it's just uncanny and clearly was done intentionally. It's part of the reason why you say Jesus is 666 because Jesus is 45666. And so you just drop the, the G, which is, you know, again, the G, you know, it comes back to that same, at least phonetically, the J-E equaling seven mm -hmm. and then 666. So, you know, regardless, for people listening, this probably sounds like a, a word soup, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, well, SpaceX in the cipher is is nine and then X is three. So 93, well, this is how thelemites sign everything. So yeah, it, it, like you mentioned, it seems like not much has changed since the Jack Parson days because here again, we have an occult symbol baked right into SpaceX. And uh, I find that interesting. Well, there's a whole section in the book too about basically where the cipher's encoded. OK, and then so I don't know how many pages it is, but to show that this doesn't just come from my mind is not something I just made up. This literally you can find the mathematics to literally create the septenary cipher all over. You can find it in the U.N. symbol. 
You can find it in the Emblem of Israel. You can find it on the Ouija board. You can use dice to decode it. You can use the opening Sarah of the Quran. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? I mean, you, there's like all these things that you can use. The Tetragrammaton, you can use your hands. You can use the phonetics of Jesus's name, Jesus Christ, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So there's all these ways in which this stuff is encoded. And I guess this is what I mean by the elite or whatever have hijacked this information. They know it. They kind of keep it in plain sight and that sort of thing. And then what they do is they make sure that the people that would ever come to this, they make sure that you're never going to get there. You know, another example, go to a Christian and ask them, "Eh, what does the Bible say about numerology? Well, I could guarantee you because I've heard it my entire life. Oh, that's all the devil worshiping and stuff like that. Right. And it's like, that's crazy nonsense. You can actually find in a book called Numbers in the Old Testament where Moses is given a directive by God to actually put numbers to name. This is the problem right now is that essentially everyone goes to this, quote, dark, sinister thing that is the elites of the world, see what they're doing and then say, look, stay away from all that. And actually, the very thing you should do is say, why are you letting these people dictate your reality to you? How you understand God, how you understand symbols, how you understand math, how you understand your language. Why are we letting these people dictate it? We shouldn't. Yes. You know, and so what I did is I just said, you know, pardon my language, but they can all go fuck themselves and (laughs) I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to go in and I'm going to learn it. And that's what I do. So. Amen. It is the Gnostic way. And. Just one more point about this breakdown you did of Elon and SpaceX. SpaceX wants to go to Mars, which is basically saying Set wants to go to Mars. Mars being symbolic of war. Set wants to go to war. It's a war in the heavens. It is an occult ritual. What do you think that aspect is all about, this quest to go to Mars? I mean, is it an analogy for going to war and is it a war with God? Well, very much, very much an analogy. They're always at war with God. Right. I mean, that's kind of their shtick is they're always at war with God. So all of these rituals, all these things, all these charades and theater, that is all to yeah, basically theater show in order to keep people locked in that mindset. Mm-hmm. OK, to keep people locked into uh, essentially just like I said, so that they won't remember who they actually are. They won't actually know what they're doing here. They won't actually know the purpose of Earth. Okay, so then, like you were just saying, so you have the Antichrist, if you will, in the in the Egyptian canon, taking the APEP, which is the serpent of chaos, up to the International Space Station. And then he wants to go to the ruling, warring planet of Mars. (laughs) You know, it's like if you've dipped your toes into any esoterica at all, this should be ringing your freaking ears right now. Yes, it's all so weird. I also wanted to ask you about Freemasons, another thorny one, but I see the argument that the organization originally was about the pursuit of knowledge and the preservation of the mysteries when people were being killed for that kind of stuff, but it seems like it's been corrupted today or over time. Of course, a lot of flat earthers consider the Freemasons to be the deceivers who perpetuated the globe model, and I know that you made a video about this called Stop Blaming the Freemasons, the Royal Society and the Flat Earth. Can you break that down for us? Who's really responsible for the deception here? And what would you say to move the target over to its proper place for people who have latched on to this idea that Freemasons did this? Well, to answer your question, first and foremost, like I'm not a Mason, so there's that. But I've studied Masonry heavily for 12 something like that, 12 years now and things like that. So when you hear the argument of like, oh, Masonry has been corrupted, I make this argument. 
look at our world. What hasn't been corrupted? Like you can't go to the doctor. You can't send your children to school. You know, they're not teaching education. So government's been corrupted. Everything in our world seems to have this corruption. And I think it's more of a, a sign of the times, if you will. You know, and I've talked about this before that I think that we are in a certain age or eon, if you will, and that that's shifting. But masonry, flat earthers, lots of people blame masons for lots of things. Pretty much all the world's conspiracies is the masons. And so I did a video and I was like, well, actually, if you look at what the Royal Society has to say, the Royal Society, everyone's blaming the masons for everything. But the Royal Society has come have come out and just absolutely told you that they're behind it. They were the first organization that spent money to send a rocket, you know, the Russians. They were the people that sent people down to visit Antarctica. You know, they pushed Darwinian theory of evolution and all the stuff that's backed by that. They're, of course, the Royal Society is today pushing COVID-19 and all this other stuff. So meanwhile, while everybody's like saying, oh, well, because, you know, Buzz Aldrin was a Mason, it's all the Masons. Right. Well, there's been like, I don't know, 600 people that have been to space and like the vast majority of those people are not Masonic. You know, and then the Masons, they'll actually tell you that they're Masons. So I just kind of once again, just poked a thorn into the side of truth seekers everywhere. And I was like, look, you're barking up the wrong tree. You could let go. And the Royal Society, which is heavily funded, you know, all these people are connected to it that have been super sketchy and shady over the years. They've come out and tell you that they're behind it. They had the funding. They pushed out the research. They're behind the globe model, everything. and so. I made that video and it didn't get well received because people just don't want to be challenged when it comes to that stuff. I don't know. I guess that's what I'm here to do. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to bring up the Masonic ritual of the moon landing and that kind of stuff. It's kind of intertwined. Apparently they did that up there. And I guess to me, it's not really an either or. It's like, couldn't the Royal Society and the Freemasons be in conjunction trying to deceive a wider group of people couldn't one have been co-opted by the other or couldn't certain people who have certain allegiances get involved with another organization and then rise to its top ranks and then steer that organization in a different way i just see so many interlocking gears to the big machine that i don't try to identify one source anymore but i think, yeah, we should throw some shade at the Royal Society. I'm not against that. Well, yeah. And I mean, there's a difference too, because masonry is a different thing than the Royal Society too, because the Royal Society is an actual like organization. It's like a centralized sort of organization where Freemasonry is like Christians. Like you can meet one and they're like, let me say this. Like I've met lots and lots of Masons over the years, right? Casually. And then because of what it is I do and stuff like that. And some of them are like way into the mysteries. You know, there's people that like, I got a good friend. I mean, his bookshelf is huge. Right. And then there's some that just don't care at all, you know? And so it's like to say, this is the problem I've had over the years that people want to make this umbrella or blanket statement about Masonry. And if you're actually honest, you can't do that. You just can't because there's so many different people involved in that sort of thing. And I don't know, I don't want to get into this too much because every time I start making, (laughs) start talking about masonry, I get tons of hate, but it's not what people think it is. That's for sure. I know that for a fact, that what people think the masonry is this organization, they all get together and this is what every lodge does and they all stroke the goat and they sacrifice children. That is crazy conspiracy nonsense. You know, it isn't to say that there aren't some masons of higher levels or 
whatever, that have been morally compromised or whatever. Of course, of course. But I take huge issue with people throwing the entire shade at masonry just because it isn't what people think it is. That's for sure. Well, that I agree with, but I guess I would take issue with the identification of Masons and, and having different interests because, yeah, they're lower, lower level Masons. I mean, there's all kinds of people that have not graduated to these higher levels of a hierarchical structure. And some people might not even be invited to. If you don't show the ineptitude or you don't show the interest in the symbols, then sure, keep it a guy's drinking club and go drink down at the hall, you know. But for the people who get chosen, it seems they go up to higher levels. And who knows at that highest level what they're really talking about? I don't claim to know. I don't say they're kissing goats assholes and that kind of stuff, but I don't know. I can't say that they're a force for good or evil. I mean, knowledge sometimes corrupts people in that Lord of the Rings kind of way. You use the knowledge sometimes for greed and power. And so maybe they are just studying but maybe just like the ring or being a Sith Lord, you learn about certain mechanisms and you're just tempted to use those mechanisms for your own gain. But we just don't know what's going on at those higher levels. I mean, we can't really claim anything with any certainty, can we? Well, no. And when I talk about masonry, I don't talk about it's interesting because this is like a conversation of itself, because a true Mason actually isn't really concerned with a lot of that stuff. It's interesting because when I talk about masonry, usually I talk to people who have never picked up any Masonic texts in their entire life. And if I ask them, what is masonry? They would say, oh, it's a secret society or something like that. They're never going to tell you, oh, Freemasonry is a uh, it's a science of salvation veiled in allegory and taught and illustrated in symbols. I've never heard that. Yet I read masonry just in the books for 12, like I said, on and off at least for a decade or more for sure. And that's all I would ever read. That's all I would ever read. I mean, there's just the glory of God, embracing humanity, helping your fellow man out, being charitable. You know, you do the right thing, whether anybody's watching or not. It's all of these things. And then not only that, when you read Masonry, is that they thrust you headfirst into the mysteries. What's understood is the mysteries. And the mysteries is essentially just the mysteries of being human. What is the purpose of my life? Where am I going? Where did I come from? What is the nature of God? When you actually study Masonry and take it seriously, this is all you'll ever read. Now, for how many years have I gone online? And I'll, I'll say, somebody will say, oh, Morals and Dogma, that's where Albert Pike said he worships Satan, right? And they'll argue till they're blue in the face. And then I'll just say, well, have you ever read Morals and Dogma? And could you point to the page where it says? And the one will say, oh, it's the Lucifer, the light bear, how strange, that sort of thing. The, ver the line before it says, I despise all the pomps and works of Lucifer and I aspire to God alone. That's literally the line before where he's saying Lucifer. And so I've been online for 10 years, heard flat earthers and conspiracy people for, say, oh, that's where Albert Pike says he's a Satanist. And I guess my response is, can you not read? <laughs> it's like mm -hmm. literally the line before he's praising God and talking about how he despises Lucifer. What happened, guys? <laughs> you know, like what happened? guys? This is the misinformation that happens when we start having the conversation about Freemasonry. Because basically, it's kind of the same thing when you talk to a bunch of people about math that are math illiterate. They'll just say, well, isn't 33 a bad number? Well, I'm like, then I'll say, well, what's bad about 33? Right. You know, and then the only reference point they'll have is, well, masonry or I saw Mark Zuckerberg put 33 in a tweet or something. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? 
And it's like, well, what can you tell me about the actual number 33, though? It's true. And then I'll I'll just wait while no one says anything. You know, and this is the issue. This is the fundamental problems we have. It's true. And on one hand, I totally agree with what you're saying. On another hand, I think about what you said in the beginning that analyzing evil 101 is that it wraps itself in good. So to cite charitable works of Freemasonic organizations, public facing stuff, and then have the secret stuff we aren't allowed to know about. Well, it makes me a little skeptical, but can uh, I stop a third rail to all this? Sure. Uh, I was just going to say, this is actually one of the things I talk about with Masonry is that Masonry is, this is one of the things that the evil people actually do. I'll blame it on the Masons. We'll blame everything on the Masons. It's the guys down at the lodge. They have the secret meetings and the secret handshakes. Blame it all on them. And it's worked. And there's actual a thing in masonry where there's it's a long-held tradition by masons that talk about this. It's called riding the goat. And it's a euphemism of Satan worship down at the lodge. And it's a joke. It's a total joke because they can never convince somebody who's already convinced that they're all devil worshipers that that's not what's going on down at the lodge. Right? And so... And the, well, what yeah, happens I mean, is what happens is it's a, and maybe we'll talk about this in part two of this, if you want to listen, but it's one of the things that a certain group of people have actually written about that they're going to blame it on the Masons, that there's a certain tribe or group of people in a certain document called the protocols that specifically say they're going to blame the Masons, <laughs> specifically say it. And then I point that out and I'm like, well, they'll come and say, well, Masonry is Judaism. Judaism is Masonry. It's like, oh, okay. Well, did you hear that from a rabbi? <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I just think it's so intertwined that I'm not confident, but I'm open to any perspective. But I did want to throw this out there in terms of a detail because you cite in one of your videos an excerpt from The All-Seeing Eye, which was written by Manly P. Hall, written in 1923. And he had this to say about vaccination. In fact... The section is called the crime of vaccination. And he says, how much longer will people have to pay to have smallpox is the problem confronting a large number of people. They send their children to public school and are forced to allow a pedigree concept to pump smallpox into them under the refined heading of vaccination. It has been proven conclusively that a great train of ills in body and in spirit follow after vaccination. Many vaccinated people have succumbed to smallpox, while many exposed to it who have not taken, well, while many exposed to it have not taken it in, although unvaccinated. The karmic debt for vaccination is twofold. First, of our bodies, which we deliberately defile with smallpox serum and vaccine. Secondly, to the animal who undergoes great suffering and is itself given smallpox in order that from the ulcers a drop of vaccine may be extracted and pumped into us. He goes on to say smallpox is not a problem if you have good hygiene and a clean diet and all that. So he doesn't seem like a deceiver to me, at least on this particular issue. But can you elaborate at all on the part where he says it has been proven conclusively that a great train of ills in body and in spirit follow after vaccination? What spiritual ills is he talking about there? Go ask anybody in the streets of Canada right now, uh. right? I guess there's a few things to say about that. First and foremost, when you look at the history of mystics and the occultists, right? Like Manly Palmer Hall was an occultist, clearly mystic. In every sense of the word, he'd be construed as a Gnostic, okay? Then you look at guys like, oh, who's the other guy? Um, the guy that did the Waldorf schools. Oh, Rudolf, Rudolf Steiner, Steiner, excuse yeah. me. 
yeah, Rudolph Steiner, if you look at what he says about vaccination, once again, there's a guy that spoke openly about masonry, about how he actually lauded masonry, how amazing amazing was, he had several lectures on it. Rudolf Steiner was totally against vaccination, 100%, just like Manly Palmer Hall, 100% against vaccination. Manly Palmer Hall and Rudolf Steiner, in every sense of the word, would fit the term of a Gnostic, of a mystic, of an esotericist. Well, what's one of the things that Gnostics do? They don't trust the churches. They don't trust churches. They don't trust religious authorities. They also, much like Well, as you could see with what Rudolf Steiner's life was all about, he didn't trust the medical institution either. Right. None of these guys did. Right. And so while Gnostics are getting a bad name, while mystics and mysticism is getting a bad name, right, then you guys got got literally 120 years ago, you've got mystics and Gnostics saying, don't take vaccines. (laughs) Um, We are going to have to wrap this up eventually. And before we do... I wanted to make sure we talked about this other thing you sent me, the unanimous redeclaration of we the people, which you described as a rewrite of the Declaration of Independence. You say that it has been used as a legit legal passport of status that has already been used as an identification to fly stateside. Very interesting. A real immunity passport, so to speak. But elaborate on this and why you thought it was important to make. Well, it's important to make because our God-given rights are being taken away from us, right? I mean, that's really what's happening in this sort of like, I don't want to say great awakening or whatever, that really the knowledge of the inherent rights of the human being are coming back because they've been taken away, right? And so one of the things that we have happening in this country right now is, well, I mean, they're pushing, of course, in certain places, the vaccine passports in New York. And of course, that you know, they're going to try to get away with that in Hawaii and all this other stuff. And That is all done, and the only way they can get away with it is because people don't know their inherent God-given rights, okay? And it's something that's really being revisited now because people recognize that the Constitution doesn't give us rights. As everybody knows, the Constitution is there to protect the rights that we were given by our Creator. And this is writ large in the opening of the Declaration of Independence, where it says that we are given unalienable rights by nature and nature's God. And of course, it's the first, you know, enumerated Bill of Right, where it says, you know, we have the right religion, free speech, that sort of thing. And so the whole purpose of writing it was to say, well, number one, we need a redeclaration in this country of our inherent freedoms, because that's what's happening right now is that all of those rights and freedoms are getting whittled away by laws and mandates and that sort of thing. And my take was like, we need to wipe all of that clean and get right back to the source, right? And that would be, of course, the founding documents. So I was like, okay, well, we need a redeclaration of independence. So I took the original declaration of independence and I essentially rewrote it for our time. And I, I listed like 22 grievances and that sort of thing. And then it was, there's a place at the end that you can sign it that basically says, this isn't like some overthrow of the government It's saying we want our government back. We want people that are actually going to uphold our rights. And so that was the redeclaration. So I rewrote the redeclaration of independence and I included it with the original redeclaration or the declaration of independence, the bill of rights and the constitution. Okay, and then I made it into a passport size book and you can actually go down, get your picture taken just like you would in a passport. And it's actually a legal affidavit of status. And so the whole point would be to get this document out and that, you know, if it ever took, you know, I mean, you can use it as legal documentation right now. But if it ever got viral or something like that, it could literally be the answer to 
all right, no more driver's license, no more passports, none of this. I have to go to the government to get my identification so that the government knows who I am. This is actually legal documentation as an affidavit of status that you can go to the like a bank or whatever, a notary, get signed, put your picture in there, and it will actually work as identification in an airport. And so I haven't flown, but when I went to the Flattoberfest, I had a person there that actually bought it and used it and used it to fly. They actually got there and back using the documentation that I created. And so he like thanked me a ton for it. So just to let everybody know, this isn't just some document that I just shat out or anything like that. It's actual like legal documentation that says exactly who you are, that you're living, breathing, flesh and blood spirit of God and that you're not owned by any corporation or entity, that you have human rights. They are rights that you will always retain. They will never be taken away. You sign that and that's legal documentation. And so the whole point was to basically, you know, because they were pushing these passports, I was like, no, let's push back. You want a vaccine passport? We're going to give you an immunity passport and it's going to be literal, you know, legal. And so that's the whole impetus behind the thing. Well, cheers to that. Very creative. And I like to hear that it's worked. Plus, Flattoberfest. I mean, talk about branding. That's a good one. I like it. <laughs> and man, I just, I certainly am intrigued by a lot of the work you do. There's clearly a spiritual dimension to this tug of war we have with the elite, and it should be highlighted and examined from many different perspectives. In terms of what you have going on, you seem to, like I said, rebranded your entire online presence from Marty Leeds 33 to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ, and you're doing sermons every Sunday. Talk to us about this and your plans going forward as we're tying a bow around all this crazy stuff we've talked about. It's kind of like I said, you know, I, I've been doing conspiracy kind of stuff, even though it was always based in spirituality, you know, like that was always the foundation. But I've been doing this like, conspiracy stuff for the longest time. And I just kind of realized that it's like, like I said, at the end of the day, when you get down to it, it's like it all leads to theology. And so I almost got, I don't want to say burned out on conspiracy stuff or anything like that. But I just realized that talking about this stuff and informing people of this stuff, even though it wasn't going to gain a big audience, I knew that, right? It was way more important. Because they were things that were universal. You could get people to actually understand and read the Bible, like understand what you're reading. You could teach them about the human body, your relationship to God, why you're here. All of that stuff seemed so much more important than wondering what Klaus fucking Schwab was doing. You know what I'm saying? And so mm -hmm. that's why I've just focused on the church and teaching this stuff because I don't really know anybody else that's doing it. And so that's my focus now. Cool. Well... Do what feels right, I guess. You know, the old Satanist motto. I guess they had one thing right. Um, well, I, I, Go ahead. I will say one thing. I, I mean, if you show up, I mean, I only basically do about an hour, an hour and 10 minutes every Sunday, but I can guarantee you will never see anything like it. That's my promise to you that you will come away from that hour and you will absolutely know something that you didn't before and that you will learn something. And that's my goal. So there you go. Now that's a sales pitch. <laughs> I like there you go. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, hey. It was just great to talk to you again, man. You are an OG around here, uh, a kindred spirit, I would say. And I wish you well on the Gnostic Church. Any other links or info to give folks before we call it in? No, just GnosticAcademy.org. And I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Hallelujah, people. That is how we do it. The great and powerful Marty Leeds. Now a THC episode score of four and five years ago since we last did this.
But Marty is an OG, a kindred spirit, and he's always applied his talents to a wide range of conspiratorial and truth-seeking topics without fear. His gematria work has always been great, pointing out the ratios and divine proportion in our bodies and in nature. There's always been some God stuff in that part of his work, but it felt more non-denominational. Though to dive in as hard as he did with Pizzagate, with Flat Earth, and the Jewish elite, and Sandy Hook. I mean, to this day, people tell me that my interview with Wolfgang Halbig was one of my best. Someone even used the phrase that I cemented myself in history with that one. Well, it only happened because Marty made his documentary and then helped me get the interview, so kudos to him, and it was great to talk to him again and help him promote his latest thing. I don't have to tell longtime listeners that this isn't really my thing, but I can still comb through the book and pull out enough that sticks out as interesting, and that's what I tried to do. And I know there's plenty of Christians in the audience, so hopefully you found something to enjoy as well. I mean, I'm never really going to dive into the Bible to this degree or the works of Blavatsky or Manly P. Hall. I mean, I've read some of the foundational books, but I just don't go through them line by line and compare and contrast the way Marty might, or it reminds me of the work of Michael Joseph. I think they're both similar in how they've tried to attack this kind of material and really study it and parse through it in an objective fashion, and then I think it's also interesting that they both kind of came away as born-again Christians, let's say. Or maybe born for the first time, but Christians. They both kind of came away feeling confident that the Christian perspective was the one that they wanted to adopt. And that's interesting. But Marty's doing his thing. He seems very happy and fulfilled in a time when people are struggling to find things they're passionate about. And that's great. His overarching point about evil wrapping itself in light is well taken. Symbols and applications of them are always so inverted and altered. It's hard to get anything straight, like the pentagram. I don't see that as an evil symbol. I see it as a portal. What you call into the portal, that's your business. But it's like a metaphysical tunnel or a bridge. It's just as neutral as a park trail, if you ask me. But it's considered evil today because authorities want a monopoly on using that portal. They don't want you to access that kind of stuff. And they want to be the liaison to your entire spiritual world. So even today, anyone who's associated with that symbol is demonized. The Kabbalistic Tree of Life seems similar. It's just a map of reality. It's neutral, but I guess it can be used and explored in various different ways that can go a little dark. But if darkness is a part of our world, then it's going to have a place on the map. Now, I'm not so sure about the 666 thing. Maybe he's right. It does work in the cipher, and if you're working off the cipher as the true key to unravel all this, then sure. But when I look at how Build Back Better and the World Economic Forum and the Chrome browser and the Bill Gates patent all contain 666 and the Mark of the Beast language sounds a lot like a digital chip, maybe that's more evil wrapping itself in the light? But I'm not getting near it. <laughs> I mean, even the Monster Energy Drink logo, the three claw marks are really six in Hebrew. And I always felt like that was pretty interesting because the thing is called Monster, which is pretty close to Demon, and it is not good for you. And it's probably the most demonic drink we have in our society. 
But I like that Marty is looking for the codes and the eternal meaning and saying that he doesn't trust the history of the Bible. I like that mission, but it seems hard for me to dismiss the history of it, but at the same time put value in the characters like Jesus. You know, you have these conversations and there will be examples. Well, Jesus says in Mark 3, 14, this, that, and the other. And it's like, well, we're talking about very specific sentences now. I just don't know. And you guys didn't know me in high school or college, but I was such a cocky, loudmouthed atheist when these topics would come up that when that worldview was pulled down for me and I was embarrassed by my prior self and how thoroughly I wrapped myself in that identity, it taught me not to get too attached to any one position and avoid any and all labels. So I just try to stay pretty neutral on all this kind of stuff now, and I'm thankful for that because I guess it works really well for someone sitting in the host chair on a podcast like this. If you were to ask me about my spiritual beliefs, I would have to say that you just try to do more good than bad in the world, align yourself with truth, and be your best self. And if there's a final judgment that says, oh, sorry, you misinterpreted the symbols, or you should have been baptized, well, that's dumb. Any god or judgment that doesn't account for how twisted up everything is at this point in the timeline, and have grace for people in this mess, then do what you will with me. To take it deeper, I would expect judgment to be more of a self-directed experience. We tend to anthropomorphize everything. In fact, I think the idea of God is an anthropomorphized representation of consciousness. But in your life review, you'll know if you've done enough. It will be something so deep in your soul that it's not like you and the judger could ever disagree. It's not going to be open to interpretation. It will be a bio-spiritual measure of if you lived in the light or if you were coasting. That's sort of my take on that aspect of it, but this is dense and thorough work that he's done with the book, and it is something that Marty has always been consistently impressive with. The level of detail he gets into when he applies himself to something, it's inspiring. But of course, my favorite parts today were talking about the de-occulting of SpaceX, Space K Ultra, we might say. Flat Earth is not my position, but I'm attracted to the paradigm that the Capstone Cabal have gone to such lengths to hide God that they inverted the whole model and invented heliocentrism and all that. It's a bold position, and I see the logic in it, and I have a good time hearing people make that case. So we weaved in and out of trying to talk about Marty's next big thing, along with dipping into the side threads that I liked most when it comes to the work he's done lately. And then we did the Jew thing. <laughs> People have been saying I'm a shill and a coward because I won't talk about the Jewish thing, but honestly, it's in the archive. We have talked about it. The Talpiot program show was important. Whitney Webb shows get into it. And in the second hour today, Marty let it rip. His documentary does not mince words. And I don't think it's hateful to say, hey, you guys have this ideology that says you're superior and we're all trash, and maybe that should be discussed. Maybe if you're in a position of power, that ideology is going to influence your decision making. It's like, I don't have a problem with you, but it seems like you might have a problem with me. And even asking that question is forbidden. 
But there are racists and eugenicists of many different flavors in power today, if you ask me, so I don't have a problem talking about it as long as we cover the spread. Smart to keep it in the second hour, though, where it won't get me deplatformed, unless I keep explaining myself here, but yes. Other things we talked about in the full episode for Plus members would be deocculting COVID-19 symbolism, banned books of the Bible, layered encoding, Marty's thoughts on Joe Atwell's Caesar's Messiah, why the Bible is not a history book, he made the point that there are no dates in it anywhere, and that's interesting. We talked about the Bible-Kabbalah overlap, 153 fish, as I mentioned, why we need to talk about the Jews, the Freedom Convoy, and the redeclaration of We the People. Crazy that I finally got to talk about the Freedom Convoy with a few guests in this one and in the next one, but by the time these episodes air, the whole thing is over. But we do have some brutal images from the crackdown, and those images speak volumes about Trudeau and his foot soldiers, and so we do have that. And to me, those images help the perception out there, and they do change minds. But we'll get more into that next time. In higher side news, not much to report this week, just trying to stay caught up. Looks like I got a good number of voicemails, so a joint session should be happening in the next couple of weeks. But let's look at the calendar at HiresideMeetups.com. Tomorrow, February 24th, is the combined No Agenda THC meetup in Colorado Springs. I like it. Why have two small parties when you can have one big one, right? I copied their meetup calendar idea, and now we're having joint meetups, so I hope they don't mind. Of course, this is all listener-directed. And March is really filling up. We got nine meetups across these here United States already. Well, eight and one in the UK. But sticking with the most immediate, March 2nd, Pacifica, California, and Seattle, Washington. If you're in those areas, join in on the fun. And if you're not, make your own event, throw it on the calendar, and I'll promote it. Again, big thanks to Marty. Glad to hear he's doing well. These times can weigh heavy on a person, and he's found something he loves doing. Pop in for a Sunday sermon if you think you might be into it, and I hope it goes well for him. I'm getting out of here. I've done my part. Your move, Christ Concealers, Space K Ultra Secret Keepers, and Darkness Wrapped in Light. Your fucking move. This is important. Hear what I said. I'm trying to tell you It's not paranoia, not in my head It's just the hard truth Knocked on your door while I still can To ask you a question Cause I know your head is still in the sand Don't be sheep till you slaughter for the rest of your life Oppressed, oppressed, but you're getting woke You say you don't want to be stressed until the day you die Tough luck, my friend Did you get the memo? Can't you see that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung food? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this But we don't have a choice The 
seems we're stuck here But you can find noses, drown out the noise Now use that altar And up your magic game And listen to THC, you know You go with the entities If you ever see the UFO Don't be sheep to your slaughter for the rest of your life Oppressed, oppressed, but you're getting woke You say you don't want to be stressed until the day you die Tough luck, my friend Did you get the memo? Can't you say that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung fu? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this anyway It's a scary dark world Scarier every day Scary dark world No matter what you say Scary dark world Don't think we'll be okay Can't you say that we're so is another show complete remember as much as you enjoyed this which is just the free first hour i hope you'll become a plus member to hear the full two-hour interviews you also can engage with other plus members in the comments and the forums and you'll find your answer to one of the most common questions i get which is where can i find those cover songs that you use at the end of the show well they are free downloads for plus members too and without Plus members, I can't hire the occasional musician to bring these odd cover song ideas to fruition. Plus members are how I'm able to do what I do without ads and without the big machine being on my back. We can fit so much more into a two-hour interview, and I do my best to make it worth your time and money. The conversation only gets deeper, weirder, and more controversial in that private hour. How could it not the way things are going? But the best way to sign up is at thehiresidechats.com, where new first-time subscribers always get a free seven-day trial because I'm just that confident. There's no PayPal on the website, but if you need to use PayPal, then sign up through Patreon and you get all the same episodes. Our website is a credit or debit system, but you can also scope out the other options like a few various cryptos, cash or check, mail to the P.O. Box... And I'll even barter with most people if you have your own business and produce something nice that my wife or kid or taste buds might like. But the architects of consensus reality have made it clear that these themes and topics aren't really welcome on the main stage. 
And so this is how we secure a little counterculture corner for ourselves. And I hope you'll join Plus because that is the only way it works. Besides, you can cancel anytime right on your profile page. The most common concern I hear is people just being unsure if THC Plus will work with their podcast app, and the answer is probably yes. But if not, we have several high-level app recommendations for whatever phone you use, and the website is made for mobile too. We're trained to tip a waitress for bringing us a sandwich, but that tip doesn't give you access to a second sandwich. Really, I'm not asking for any more than that, and I think I offer a better service. Come get your second serving of tasty conspiracy goodness in exchange for that small token of your appreciation. Beyond that, let it also be known that we have grown and survived as long as we have by word of mouth. I don't care so much about social media likes or follows, but tell the right people about THC. And not just listeners, but the high-level figures who are better suited to sit down with me than most other hosts. And if you can help me with any of these things, I can work to bring you better shows, which is just a win-win for both of us. Informative, entertaining, and action-packed. It also never hurts to thank a guest you liked if you have the time either. We want them to know people are listening, so they're willing to come back down the road too. Thank you for spending some time with me, and cheers to a better tomorrow.